the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. Good morning, seven minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are underway on this Wednesday, the 29th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Coming up on the program in about a half an hour, we're going to check in with our friends at the American Policy Roundtable, specifically the Ohio Roundtable. Dave Zanotti and Rob Walgate will both be with us to talk about the end of the pandemic. Really? Is the end in sight? Well, according to some, and some observers who are watching very closely what the CDC has to say, we may be there sooner than you think. And uh, Dave Zanotti wrote an interesting blog about that uh, this week for the uh, for, for their website, and we're going to talk to him about that. What does it mean if we don't have a massive spike this winter, and if we get into the spring uh, on the same trajectory, what does this mean? So we're going to talk about that. In other words, here's a real good question for you. If the science suggests, and it seems to to do exactly that, that there is an end in sight at the widespread. The pandemic is probably, or rather the virus is probably never going to fully uh, extricate itself from, you know, from our lives, from, from the environment. But if the pandemic portion of this does indeed seem to be winding down, why would the Biden administration seem to be winding up the mandates? Why the stricter requirements coming forward if indeed the poly, or the, uh, the, the signs of this would seem to indicate that it is on its way down? We're going to talk about all of that with uh, Dave Zanotti and Rob Walgate from the American Policy Roundtable. That'll be coming up at 9.35. The rest of the program is yours, and to an extent mine, because I have a lot of information to share with you this morning. But uh, you can participate 
whenever you have the ability to, at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers is just hunky-dory with me. Reach out, and we will talk together. Right now, the first thing I want to do before we get into the news of the day is uh, start our day with our Pledge of Allegiance. So if you would please join us. Patriots, go ahead and stand. If you have a flag nearby, face it. Maybe the neighbor does. Look out the window and look at their flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us as we say a pledge to of allegiance to our country. Leftists, Biden voters, um, liars, cheaters, stealers, um, massive reconcili- budget reconciliation bill supporters, go ahead and take a knee. Sit this one out. We know how you really feel about our country. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all by the way uh, you know your your patron saint Biden voters and kneelers uh, and and those who stay seated during the anthem and the pledge did you know there's a movie coming out about your hero Saint Colin the Kaepernick yeah Uh, It's not entitled St. Colin the Kaepernick, but it is a glowing worship piece, as if he were saintly. Yeah, I I saw a couple of comments about it yesterday from people who have seen advanced screenings. Uh, What they said is it's absolutely terrible in terms of, you know, its entertainment value as a a biopic. Uh, And it is also just wretch-inducing, vomit-inducing when it comes to the manner in which they present Colin Kaepernick, the patron saint of uh, anti-Americanism, the patron saint of anti-patriotism, and those who despise what this country is and what it has uh, always been. So, uh, yeah, so you and your hero uh, can have a great time together uh, watching, or actually you can watch your hero at the movies. All right, let's dive in. I told you yesterday as I signed off that I would do this for you so you don't have to, that I would watch the... um, testimony given yesterday before the Armed Services Committee uh, in the Senate of General Austin, of or actually Secretary now, Secretary Austin, General Milley, and General Frank McKenzie. Um, as they explained the extraordinarily painful withdrawal of American troops and evacuation of American civilians from Afghanistan. Painful doesn't even begin to describe, of course, uh, the death of 13 U.S. service members. Painful doesn't even begin to describe, of course, what it must feel like right now for American citizens and American loyalists, meaning Afghans who were loyal to the American cause and helped them during our mission there for 20 years, those who have been left behind. And we know now that the Biden administration and the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, have been lying to us about there only being 100 people, 100 Americans left behind. Because there are some 50 that are on a plane right now, or were as of a couple of hours ago, trying to find permission to land somewhere with Americans who have just been extricated again, not by the Biden administration, not by the United States military nor the State Department, but third-party rescuers, essentially, are getting in there, negotiating with, and doing what needs to be done to remove Americans. They have no earthly idea, or if they do, they're lying to us about how many people are left behind. So we talk about the pain, and now let's talk about the policy. 
Let's talk about how this whole thing went down, why there was such a disaster, why the Afghan security forces, some 300,000 strong, basically just gave up and ran when the last U.S. military members were gone because of the just incomprehensible strategy put forth by Austin and or Milley and or McKenzie and or CIC Joe Biden to remove all of the troops first leaving all of the military equipment behind, and most importantly, leaving all of the defenseless American uh, citizens and civilians behind. It's just impossible to understand that. So yesterday, uh, the grilling came from a lot of different sources, one of which was Tom Cotton. And Tom Cotton wanted to know from Millie, from Austin, and from McKenzie, didn't you think it would be a good idea to leave at least a contingency force behind so that the uh, the Afghan security forces wouldn't just pick up and run as soon as they knew that their American backbone was gone. And that's what it was. The American military personnel, whether it be 10,700 or 2,500, that was the backbone that provided the leadership and the guidance for the Afghan security forces. Once Biden ordered or Biden's generals ordered all of them out, not even with the security force left behind, that's when the security forces bailed and the Taliban was free to just cruise right on in and take over, which is exactly what happened. So yesterday, Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton, who was one of the uh, tougher questioners of the three uh, uh, military leaders who were at at that committee testifying, kind of wanted to get it all laid out. Whose decision was it really to pull every last member out and not even leave behind a security force? Because Joe Biden said nobody suggested that we leave behind a security force. All of my generals, all of my top military advisors told me, just get everybody out of there. No more troop presence at all. Did that really happen that way? Listen. General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops uh, approximately stay in Afghanistan? Um, As I've said many times before this committee and other committees, I don't share my personal recommendations to the president, but I can tell you my personal opinion and my assessment if that's what you want. Yes, please. Um, Yes, my assessment was... Back in the fall of 20, and it remained consistent throughout that uh, we should keep a steady state of 2,500, and it could bounce up to 3,500, maybe something like that, uh, in order to move toward a negotiated, gated solution. Did you present? Did you ever present that assessment personally to President Biden? I don't discuss exactly what uh, my conversations are with the sitting president in the Oval Office, but I can tell you what my personal opinion was, and I'm okay. always candid. General McKenzie. All right, I'm going to say I want to just clarify that. Mark Milley admitted, yes, that's what I told the president. He said, I can't tell you specifically what I told the president, but I just told you what my position was, and yes, I am always candid. Meaning, I told the president. I was candid with him. This is what you need to do. 2,500, maybe as many as 3,500, should be left behind. Let's continue. Do you share that assessment? Senator, I do share that assessment. Um, did you ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? Again, I'm not going to be able to comment on uh, those executive discussions. Did General Miller ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? I think it would be best to ask him. I believe that his opinion was well heard. Uh, Secretary Austin, uh, President Biden last month in an interview with George Stephanopoulos said that no military leader advised him 
to leave a small troop presence in Afghanistan. Is that true? Uh, Senator Cotton, I, uh, I believe that, uh, well, first of all, I, I know the president to be an honest and forthright man. Uh, and just, secondly... It's a simple question, Secretary Austin. He said no senior military leader advised him to leave a small troop presence behind. Is that true or not? Did these officer and General Miller's recommendations get to the president personally? Their input was, uh, was received by the president and considered by the president, uh, for sure. Their input was received by the president and considered by the president, for sure. So in other words, you just heard Lloyd Austin, Frank McKenzie, and Mark Milley, three of the most important leaders in the U.S. military, the Secretary of Defense, the CENTCOM commander, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, all say that, yes, we told Joe Biden you need to leave a security force behind, which means that Joe Biden, in August, lied to the American people by way of this interview. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? No, not at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame, all troops. They didn't argue against that. So no one, no one told your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. Joe Biden just called his military leadership team liars. All of them. It's a simple question, Secretary Austin. He said no senior military leader advised him to leave a small troop presence behind. Is that true or not? Did these officer and General Miller's recommendations get to the president personally? Their input was, uh, was received by the president and considered by the president, uh, for sure. So the real question is, is Joe Biden incompetent or is he... Well, for lack of a better word of saying it, corrupt and ultimately responsible for an intentional uh, desertion of American citizens on foreign soil and desertion of our Afghan allies. Is he intentionally or accidentally responsible for the chaos that has now led to the Taliban being once again in charge of the entire nation of Afghanistan? Which one is it? He said, not that I can recall. So either he forgot something as important as Mark Milley, John McKenzie, or Frank McKenzie, beg your pardon, and Lloyd Austin telling him to leave his security force behind. He just forgot they said that. Or he heard them say that, remembered they said that, and ignored them and said, too bad, we're taking everybody out of there. So is he incompetent and forgetful, or is he intentionally... um, pulling all of the troops out and putting all of these dangerous scenarios that I just described in place. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, that, that wasn't true. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. And I also recommended earlier in the fall of 2020 that we maintain 4,500 at that time. Those are my personal views. I also have a view that the withdrawal of those forces would lead inevitably to the collapse of the Afghan military forces and eventually the Afghan government. Do, do we 
Do we need go on? Do we need to go on? For the last you know two months since this situation played out, I have been describing the small security force that could be left and should be left behind in Afghanistan as the backbone of the Afghan security forces. Remove the spine of any living being, and it collapses. Period. You remove the spine, the backbone, and you are a heap, a puddle of a mass of goo. That's exactly what happened here. As General McKenzie said, I told the president that if you don't leave a security force behind, then the Afghan military forces will collapse, and so will the Afghan government. And it's exactly what happened, which means that either all of these military leaders are lying about what they told Joe Biden, or Joe Biden is lying about what he told uh, George Stephanopoulos. He told them, nobody told me we should leave anybody behind. No no one told, your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. This should be, in all seriousness, the beginning of the end of the Biden presidency. In sworn testimony under oath before the Armed Services Committee yesterday, his top military advisors and leaders all said that they told him how to do this, and he either forgot, because, quote, I don't recall, or ignored them and led to the death of 13 service members and the essentially hostage situation involving Lord knows how many other Americans who are still behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. 216 This is The Authority on AM 1420 The Answer. free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. Okay, 926. You know, it's one thing, by the way, for, you know, Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton, to question these generals harshly and to try to get to the bottom of what whatever that has been you know being hidden and cloaked for so long it's another thing for a senator like marcia blackburn to do that and 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 joni ernst and others who are on the republican side because some could just say well this is partisanship at its finest they're just trying to catch the generals uh or the president in a lie for political purposes it's one thing for republicans to say that it's quite another when a democrat actually steps up. A far-left Democrat steps up and declares that everything that went down was the responsibility of leadership that was not there. Leadership that was AWOL because there was nobody in charge. Nobody. Not the President, not the Secretary of Defense, not the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, not the CENTCOM Commander. Nobody was in charge. And Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal was willing to concede that point on MSNBC of all places. 
There really was no clarity, and with all due respect to the Secretary of Defense, he provided no real responses to my questions because at the moment there aren't responses. There is nobody in charge, and undeniably, and he knows, and so does every member of that panel, there's a moral imperative here. There are tens of thousands of Afghan allies, the former interpreters and translators, guards, security officials who went into combat with our troops. They protected our diplomats. They put themselves and their families at risk, and now they have targets on their back. They're at risk of murder and torture. They're in hiding, and their situations are increasingly desperate. My office turned into a kind of mini-evacuation center. My senior staff and I were making phone calls. I called some of the very top officials in the White House and the State Department, and members of the State Department pointed at the Department of Defense. The Department of Defense pointed at the White House. Nobody in charge, and it's a continuing challenge that we need to face because lives are at stake, lives of people who put their lives on the line for us. All right. I I, want to make sure you heard every word, and particularly the last portion of that. My senior staff and I were making phone calls, he said. This is Dick Blumenthal, Democrat, member of the Armed Services Committee, right? Dick Blumenthal said, my senior staff and I were making phone calls. I called some of the very top officials in the White House and in the State Department. Members of the State Department pointed at the Secretary of Defense. The Secretary of Defense pointed at the White House. Nobody is in charge. Now, again, because this is a Democratic senator, you can take out any allegations of partisanship or politics or gamesmanship here. This is a Democratic senator acknowledging that the leadership of this country has completely and wholly failed in its responsibility to protect American citizens and to conduct sound foreign policy. That the State Department, run by Tony Blinken, perhaps the worst choice for Secretary of State in the history of the Cabinet, Tony Blinken in the State Department failed and pointed at the Department of Defense. That laid it in the lap of Lloyd Austin, arguably the worst choice for Secretary of Defense in the history of the Pentagon. And Lloyd Austin then points to the White House and said, we told him, we told him, we know that our our views about leaving a security force behind were heard by the president, but the president makes up his own mind, and that means that the president, arguably but not arguably the worst choice for commander-in-chief in the history of the republic failed in his duties. I'm going to say this again, and I've said it a few times in the last you know, 10 months of chaos that is the Biden administration and the, def- the uh, military uh, conditions in this country right now. If I were a foreign power and an enemy of the United States that ever had designs on taking the U.S. down militarily, and I mean full-on campaign and invasion, this is the time I would take my shot. This is the time. This military, under this leadership and that commander-in-chief where they are more concerned with anti-racism and wokeness, where they are more concerned 
with diversity, inclusion, and equity than they are military readiness. These individuals who point the fingers at each other and say, he said that, no, I didn't, he did, he did. There is no uniformity. There is no unanimity. There is no cohesion. Military cohesion is gone. If I were a foreign power looking to take the U.S. down, I would take my shot right now because there is no way we would be prepared for war. None. Which is why you better hope we have a good diplomatic strategy, except that we don't because our State Department is trash. I'm telling you, we are in great peril right now. And if you don't think that the CCP realizes that, if you don't think America's deepest, most hated enemies in places like North Korea, in Iraq, or Iran rather, uh, in uh, Russia, if you don't think that they know exactly how ripe we are for the picking, then you're not paying attention. We'll come right back after the news. AM 1420, The Answer. Just because the president is incoherent doesn't mean you have to be. The Bob France Authority, keeping you politically coherent. On AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 937, we continue. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday. On September 22nd at 445 a.m., a white flag appeared in the corner of the COVID-19 political battlefield. The CDC went to NPR with a team of researchers who have built the COVID models. They presented their data that reveals the COVID-19 pandemic will be essentially gone in the U.S. by March or in about 180 days. Those are not my words. Those are the words of Dave Zanotti, who wrote this on the blog for the American Policy Roundtable at aproundtable.org. Is it true? Is the CDC basically acknowledging that the pandemic is going to be over in just a few months? Well, let's talk a little bit more about it now with Dave Zanotti and Rob Walgate. Of course, Rob is a frequent guest host on this program, both of them with the AP Roundtable. Gentlemen, good morning. It's good to talk to you. How are you? Well, Bob, it's great to talk with you. You managed to get us both on, all three of us at the same time. I feel like this is a party. It is a party. It absolutely is. It's uh, it's it's an antibodies party. No, I'm having one of those. And you're you're welcome to it, by the way. I literally, we're 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 scouting locations right now on probably somewhere on the west side of Cleveland. But we're going to have an antibodies party in which everybody who is naturally immunized from this virus, as opposed to being fake immunized, which it is not by the uh, uh, by the uh, uh, vaccines, uh, we're going to have a party and we're going to celebrate our shared immunization. So that's coming, and you are cordially invited, by the way. Uh, Dave, that let, Bob is a brilliant idea. By the way, yeah, you know, it's, I don't it's, get to say that enough to you. That's really smart. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, and, and I'm doing it for a good reason here. And the reason, of course, is most scientists or doctors who are, you know, just essentially touting the party line about not party. I don't want to make this political, but touting the uh, line about vaccine, 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 completely ignoring, um, you know, those who have been naturally uh, immunized now. And and Dave, it's so important because many doctors have done studies saying that if you are naturally immunized with COVID-19 because you have uh, recovered from it and then you take a shot on top of it with the synthetic quote unquote vaccine uh, that they want to give you, it actually compromises your your immune system. It doesn't strengthen it. It compromises it, and yet those who have with natural antibodies, Dave, are not uh, given a pass on the mandates from their colleges, from their work places of work. Biden's federal mandate that's coming. Well, that 
information, Bob, kind of bends my my brain and actually it, it, it breaks my heart at the same time. Because when we started in this process, the medical professors that we were working with and the people from Johns Hopkins and others were very candid in saying what they've all learned in Virology 101 in medical school and that they've learned through a lifetime of practice and research, which is the way you outlast a new form of a virus is you either die, uh, and, and thanks be to God, this has been uh, no more than a 1% death rate, as tragic as it is, 99% of the people recover, and I know your listeners know this, mm-hmm. or you must survive it through natural antibodies, or, and you get it, you get infected. It's a 10-day ritual for most people, though there, some have harder times based on comorbidities, or uh, you get some form of a vaccine, in this case, a therapeutic genetic therapy. So we went forward with this three-part un- understanding, and somewhere along the line, we lost the most essential part, which was natural immunities. You've tried to keep that science alive on your broadcast, and America owes you a debt of gratitude for doing so. The fact is that the President of the United States today in a statement that, that 98% vaccination is where he thinks the population should be and safe. Now, that's a terrible misstatement, but it's not coincidental. He believes that. That's not a gaffe. He believes that the only way out of this is to have everyone taking this form of vaccination, which is medically and scientifically absurd because the evidence clearly proves that natural immunization, getting this and surviving it, is by far the best way to go through this if you're not placing your life at risk. And a small number of people definitely need more medical advice and counsel in regards to extra help and and, and vaccination. We're not saying the vaccines are stupid or that they shouldn't be here. What we're saying is they're nowhere near the answer they were touted to be, and we need to improve this dramatically if vaccines are going to continue in this conversation effectively. But we've got a president that's living in the Neanderthal age in regards to where the technology has already moved. There's no question about that. Dave Zanotti with the AP Roundtable is with us, the Ohio Roundtable, as well as Rob Walgate. Rob, let me bring you in because I know you're going to be a guest at the Antibodies Party because I know you had it and I know you uh, recovered from it. And I don't recall if you told me anybody else in your family did. For me, it was myself and my wife and both kids all had it. It's at different times, uh, but we all recovered from it. And again, the idea that somebody wants to t- wants to force us to take a jab on top of the natural immunization that we are carrying is just anti-science. It's 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 anti-medicine yeah it makes no sense to do that i'd be happy to attend i'd be honored to attend the um, antibody party and the interesting thing for me is after i had covid i went and gave blood to the red cross because i know they scanned it for antibodies and i'm being told now that they've stopped that practice of scanning it for any antibodies i was able to look on the app after i gave blood and they told you whether or not you had it but so many people have been giving blood um, that have gotten vaccinated, that then antibodies don't show up, that they've stopped the process altogether. Uh, so we've been told. And what was interesting, when I first gave blood, my wife did as well, who slept in the same bed as me, was around me when I was sick, and she doesn't show any antibodies. She never had the virus. Now, we don't know if that's because T-cell immunity. We don't know if she has some other predisposition to not catch the virus. But there's so much we don't know about it scientifically to hear people constantly get on television and tell us what needs to be done to make this go away, it just it just leaves us scratching our heads so much. It's, 
It's been interesting in the last week to watch players in the NBA, Jonathan Isaac, Bradley Beal, and others, ask important questions when it comes to natural immunity and the vaccines. And they've been doing more in that area than, than possibly the CDC in challenging the science and what's actually real. Well, they have, and and sadly, they've been dismissed as just being anti-vaxxers and flat earthers, because that's kind of how they, you know, the 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 elite scientific crowd sees those of us who actually believe in natural immunity and the fact that vaccines, you know, particularly therapeutics like this, can hit every individual differently, which is why you cannot have a one size fits all mandate because everybody is different, and all they're saying is, hey, I, I'm I'm making the right decision for me after talking to my doctor, and that is something. Uh, that the supposedly uh, you know educated uh, uh, medical crowd uh, believes should happen. Rob, one more quickie for you before I go back to Dave about his blog and about what's coming up. And the CDC says Dave just pointed out that Joe Biden said while he was getting his booster shot, and somebody asked what percentage of the people need to get this before uh, the vaccine before we can go back to normal. He said ninety-seven to ninety-eight percent. Do you think he? You know, your your colleague there, Dave, just said that wasn't a gaffe. That's what he believes. But, you know, remember, Dr. Fauci originally said 60%, then 70%, then maybe 75 or 80% till we, till we get herd immunity here. Suddenly it's 97 or 98. What was Biden, you know, did he, did they change their minds as an administration on this? And now it's 97 or 98 or does Biden just pull stuff out of the air? I don't believe that was a gaffe. I, I agree with Dave. Um, the goalposts continually move. We've seen that constantly throughout this pandemic. We started off with 15 days to flatten the curve. I think we're on day, what, 537 or something <laughs> something crazy about that. But the thing with numbers and data, Bob, is it's constantly manipulated. We can take a look at Joe Biden and the CDC, or we can take a look in the state of Ohio with Mike DeWine and the way that he and his team manipulate numbers. They're talking about now the masking of school children, and they're talking about the percentage. I think they say 67 or 68% or, of school children are masked. The interesting part, is they don't talk about the number of schools, yet when they talked about the amount of people for in-person learning last year, they gave the percentage of the number of schools because they know if they gave the percentage of the number of children, it would have been very low because of the urban districts not going to in-person schooling last year. So whether it's the CDC, Joe Biden, or Mike DeWine and John Husted, numbers are constantly being manipulated, and you have to look beyond the numbers to get the truth. Rob Walgate from the AP Roundtable with us, Dave Zanotti as well. Dave, I started our interview by quoting the opening line of your blog post about what happened on September 22nd, the release of the article from the CDC, and they uh, went to NPR saying this is very likely going to be pretty much over by March. You then went on to say what's critical to understand here is the release of this data is intentional and strategic. What do you mean? Uh, Bob, we've been doing this for 42 years, and this would be a casual, even intriguing conversation, except for the public policy ramifications of it on top of the scientific and health questions, because politicians have utilized this virus as a means of gaining tremendous amounts of power over our civil culture, and in so doing, paying off big pharma, at this stage of the game, going on to $30 billion dollars in 18 months' time of taxpayer dollars in debt. Now, so this has consequences across every realm of public policy in our lives and our health, and it's about power. So when the CDC, which is the agency of the government that has been the pinpoint center of all of the emanations of the public relations on COVID, 
The CDC defines reality. When they sneak over to NPR, do a private briefing, and show them models no one has seen before that shows a ski slope drop over the next 180 days in cases and hospitalizations because we're going basically to be through the Delta variant in six months, and then we'll be back where we started in March of 2020. That's exactly what their research shows. And they go and they tell NPR that they did it because they're starting to change the narrative and they're doing a drip, drip, drip strategic media campaign so that when all of a sudden everyone looks around after Christmas and goes, hey, nobody's getting sick anymore. And by the time we get closing in on Easter going, whatever happened to COVID, they can say, oh, we told you this was going to happen six months ago. You just weren't paying attention. The numbers have changed. The science has changed. The models have changed. But nobody is picking up the story and celebrating the good news because if they do, Big Pharma suddenly has got inventory. They're not moving out at $80 a pop. Revco and CVS and and, uh, all the other drugstore companies, I said Revco, there's an old one, Uh, (laughs) all the other Walgreens, all the drug companies that get 80 bucks on a two-shot pop, all of a sudden all that money is going to disappear. So... They're, they're leaking the story of the good news, and no one else in the monster media is picking it up because it doesn't fit the political and the economic agenda of staying in power by making people afraid of COVID. But the truth is, Bob, we are well doing tremendously well as a culture with our natural immunities and our vaccinated immunities, and COVID is running out of gas. The train is running out of steam. They have to let somebody know what's happening so they can protect themselves against their propaganda machine, but no one else is picking up the story. Okay, two, two follow-ups to this. Um, one is to challenge it uh, with the words of uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who is kind of CNN's COVID expert, but he also quoted and cited Dr. Robert Redfield, who was the CDC director under President Trump. And the two of them essentially combined to say there is no such thing as defeating COVID-19, defeating coronavirus. This is something that is not just going to, not just a pandemic. It is going to become endemic. It's going to be here. And we're going to have to decide, you know, how we want to handle that. Are we going to treat it like flu and create a new shot every year to uh, address the strongest variant of that year, which is exactly what we do with the flu, with the influenza vaccines, uh, and just say, this is here. COVID's here. Some people are going to get it. Some people are going to die from it. Some people are going to get it and not die from it. Some people are going to have stronger symptoms, some lighter symptoms, depending on how good we are at guessing on the variant, et cetera. So this is, again, you know, I think a, a more of a leftist medical professional like, like Gupta and Redfield, who again served under President Trump as the head of the CDC, saying this is not going to go away forever. It's not going to be defeated, not March exactly. forever. What do you say? Well, Bob, first off, you've been saying that from the beginning. We've been saying that from the beginning. Of course we know when a new style virus in the coronavirus family comes to the human culture, it's not going to appear to go to a point where it's a normal part of life, like a cold or the flu, which are also coronaviruses. If they had had the courage to explain that at the start with their early models that shows, okay, since nobody's ever had this, we're all going to get this. So get used to it. Now, how do we keep the most vulnerable from dying? If Mike DeWine and Donald Trump, and, 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 and Burks and Fauci had had the courage to explain this to us from the basic virology in the beginning, we never would have had a platform for panic, for a political revolution, to, to, to take away people's lives, shut down their businesses, drive them away from hospitals and necessary care. 
they overreacted and panicked in the beginning. Now they're trying to come back to say, oh, well, this is what we're, we've been saying this from day one. Congratulations, Sanjay Gupta. Thanks for waking up after you terrorized millions of people. Of course, this virus is going to be around for as long as humans are here. But guess what? It will be milder. People will recover from it. The death rate will still be extremely small and we'll get on with living. And that hasn't changed from the beginning. They're the ones that have been doing the propagandizing from the start. Dave Zanotti, last one for you, uh, because we're short on time here, so try to make it quick. As it pertains to their little whisper, the CDC's little whisper to NPR, as you pointed out, so they can claim, we told you. Um, why, Why is biden on the ramp up now he has to know what the cdc is saying that by march this is going to be uh largely a thing of the past uh you know the pandemic portion of this is going to be gone um we're not going to see a massive surge of cases in the winter time so if biden knows this why ramp up the the, the mandate now the politically dangerous for the democrats uh mandate to put 80 to 100 million american workers jobs on the line if they don't take the jab if they know that all we have to do is hold for another four or four or five months or so six months or so that we're going to be okay bob COVID has become a religious practice of hatred and the people who are the biggest COVID advocates have no room whatsoever for people who disagree with them and joe biden is rallying his base because his support is falling and it's easy to rally people around hating people who are different than them and people like you people bob france your antibody people and friends You who are advocating for a natural health approach to all of this and are willing to take it on the chin and accept the risk for yourself, you, freedom-loving people, are the virus. You're worse than COVID. You're the enemy. And Joe Biden can't help himself. He's surrounded by people who hate people who love liberty. Yeah, and I and I think also that's very well said, Dave Zanotti. And I think also, quite frankly, that those same people who hate us for being freedom lovers and wanting to make our own decisions also just think we're pretty stupid. You know, it's 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 the whole you know these these hillbillies cling to their guns and their Bibles and their religion and stuff. They really just think they're so much smarter than the rest of us that we have to be saved from ourselves because we just are we're too dumb to figure it out for ourselves. And I think that's something that comes through with every statement that these people make. Uh, Dave God Zanotti. have mercy on us all, Bob. We need help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Dave Zanotti, Rob Ballgate, American Policy Roundtable. Gentlemen, thank you so very much. Keep up the great work you do. Thanks, Bob. Okay, we'll talk to you again very soon. 9.54, we'll be right back. Okay, it's 9.57. Let's take a couple, a couple of uh, quick phone calls to wrap up the hour. Hour number two, by the way, is guest-free, so there is plenty of opportunity for you to be heard. Ask your questions, uh, make your comments on what we're talking about coming up in hour number two. But for now, we'll go to Westlake and Vince, who's up first. Hey, Vince, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my calls, always. Yes, sir. Um, so many things going on out here. It's just it, it, every day uh, I wake up, just as you uh, articulated a little bit earlier, that our enemies have to be licking their chops. It, just at where we're at right now, looking at the poor leadership we have and uh, the, the lack of continuity and everything there. I swear to God, I get up every morning. One of the first things I do is I turn on you. I turn on Fox News just to make sure that we haven't been taken over yet. Because, as you said, it, it, they've got to be sitting back licking their chops. And how could they not that be? Point, I would be right. Exactly. 
Exactly. If I and, if and I looked at point, if I looked at communist China and saw them firing all their healthcare workers, if I saw that their military leadership was calling one another liars, that they were arguing with uh, Xi Jinping about what they said and what they did and how many of them were dying in routine what should be routine military operations and so forth, if I saw that and and knew that our survival ultimately would depend on us taking them down, this would be the time. This is this is when I would say it's time to take them down for crying out loud. And 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 here, speaking of the military leaders pointing fingers at each other and everything else, man, these guys made the colossal debacle of all debacles leaving Afghanistan, and that's just one of the things that they've done wrong. And like you said before, talking about you know the white privilege and all this other stuff that they're talking about. But right now, right now, as you and I speak, there's a Marine Lieutenant Colonel, Stuart Scheller, sitting in the brig, not because he was responsible for the debacle in Afghanistan, not because he disobeyed an order, not because he killed anybody or did anything wrong, simply because he opened his mouth and said, where's the accountability from our leaders on the debacle that was called the exit from Afghanistan. They not only fired him, took his pension away, everything else, then they turned around. They just recently, I don't know if it was the day before yesterday or yesterday, his parents were on TV last night talking about it. He's in jail simply for voicing his opinion. Now, the last time I knew that kind of crap happened was back in 1938, Germany, uh, Nazi Germany, Russia, the Bolshevik Revolution, you name it. This is this has got to Vince, let me, let me jump in because I'm short on time here. Let me just ask this because I literally don't know the question or the answer to the question. Um, but don't you surrender some civilian rights when you join the military? And, one, and among those is publicly questioning or criticizing senior uh, commanders or, or senior officers. That, that you pretty much, when you're in the military, you're not subject to civilian rule. You're subject to, to military rule. And one of the things that you do is you cannot question the orders or disobey the orders of a senior commander. And d- does he not? Because, by the way, I'm with you. I, I, this is horrific that they're trying to make an example of him, and they are. But I'm, but I'm literally asking, don't, don't you kind of surrender some of your rights to speak freely when you are in the military? As far as I know, not having been in the military myself, as far as I do know, you do surrender some of those, but for him to just articulate a question as to where is this, he wasn't defying any orders, he wasn't disobeying any orders, yes, he was critiquing or criticizing, whatever you want to call it, and if you, you, you pull it up on YouTube, his, his you know, question there that got him in trouble, yeah. um, but even good, still, given that, you know, the reason I think it matters, the reason I think it matters, Vince, is he, he started his comments by saying, I am willing to throw it all away. He said, I've been fighting for 17 years and I've been willing to throw it all. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. Uh, he said, I'm willing to risk my current battalion seat, my retirement, my family's stability to say what I need to say. So I think he knew that what he was saying was something he's not allowed to say, which, which by the way, makes it all the more heroic that he was willing to demand accountability, but I think he knows that he can't do what he was doing, and now the price that he's going to pay is going to be a, a, a steep one. Well, and, you know, throw it all away is right. He knew that. You're right. 
but they end up having them locked up, incarcerated, and with yeah. the Muslim, I, I don't know, Bob. This is, and this I is and just, I don't know what the, I don't know what if, if he faces a court martial, you know, maybe the, you know, maybe it'll be a light sentence. I don't know. Uh, in, in fact, thank you, Vince, for the call. I got to get to the news. It's ten oh two. Military members, retirees, veterans, tell me. Did that lieutenant colonel have the right to say what he said, or did he violate military protocol and is just getting what the military says he should get? I'm interested in that. Coming up on AM 1420, the Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.